I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And, and everything's, everything's coming up, Simpsons. Simpsons. This episode is brought to you by the Popsicle Stick Skyscraper of Springfield. <laughs> yeah. We're also brought to you by the 50-foot magnifying glass. And lastly, but not leastly, we are brought to you by the escalator to nowhere. Yeah. Where does it go? <laughs> what point does that make? <laughs> oh, boy, guys. Are you ready for... I mean, we're also... This reminds me. Another sponsor just came in. <gasps> Who is it? Truckosaurus the movie. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. We've been wanting that since episode one of yeah. our podcast, and it is finally here. Truckosaurus the movie, uh, voiced uh, by Marlon Brando, uh-huh. <laughs> celebrity voice impersonator. Well, of course, of course, um, playing John Truckosaurus. We are here to talk to you about um, one of the best episodes of all time of any show ever. Of any show ever. Um, maybe we'll get into the list of all the different people who say that this is one of the best episodes of all time. If you've been a longtime listener to Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, then you have heard us tease, I want to say, since day one. <laughs> Definitely year one. Um, that this was the one that we were saving, um, you know, the best for last. This was the one that was um, a little bit of our white whale with getting a proper guest to speak on it and then realizing that there were none uh, with the exception of Conan O'Brien. But uh, we are each other's Conan O'Briens. I would say that's true. I, you know, I, I feel like you're a lot like Conan O'Brien and in some ways better. Explain how. I don't really have time. <laughs> we both have podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, we've talked about for so long, and we have truly turned down so many very lovely, famous, famous people um, mm-hmm. to do this John episode. Travolta. John Travolta. Yeah, looks like. We've asked <laughs> so many different people um, what their favorite episode is. People have said this episode and have had to pick an episode that wasn't their favorite. Right. Because we were saving this for Conan O'Brien. And you know what? He never responded to my <laughs> numerous tweets. So could I have tried he- a little harder to get him on? Yes, but no. did I? No. And is no. that his fault? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if you're not a celebrity, uh, I'm, or if you're a celebrity that's not looking at your at replies, then I've got no time for you. We've got no time for you. Also, Todd Levin, you've been on the show. Is yeah. it Levine? Levin. All right. Todd Levin, <laughs> if that is how you pronounce yes. your last name. We loved having you on the show. I thought that the way that you tied in the the birth of your daughter into the episode you chose was excellent. But why didn't you help us get your boss, Conan, on the goddamn podcast? You know what? I wasn't mad at Todd Levin until you brought that up. But and now, now I'm hopping mad. Andy Richter, where were you? Hmm, did not, we reach out to him? Not asked to do the show, but you didn't ask your friend Conan to do the show either. I would like to say to borrow another joke from The Simpsons, which is not necessarily a joke, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, his ears should have been burning. <laughs> and he should have picked up the phone, knowing we were so both looking too. up at the same moon, wanting Conan to be on the podcast. So is this the end of Conan O'Brien? Do we cancel Conan on Twitter today <laughs> oh, or tomorrow? No. Um, you know what? I'm a little sleepy, so let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> now, Conan, if you're listening, Todd, if you're listening, Andy, we know you're listening. Yeah. 
there's still chance yet because even though this is the last episode and even though we didn't get to have you slash Conan on the podcast for Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, our new show, Round Springfield, you have a wide open invitation to come join us. So please, please do what's right. I like that we're opening this episode with a real call to action. Audience, it's your time to do what you can. Don't mm-hmm. just sit around saying, I wish Conan would do their podcast. Actually, go do something about it. Honestly, if everybody listening right now tweets to Conan, do their podcast and don't even link us <laughs> out of context <laughs> or just tweet to him, I think the world would be a better place. Now, I might ask that you do link it to us, but <laughs> who am I to say? <laughs> but that's that's like the sporadic, you know, impromptu jazz of Twitter. You know, everybody is tweeting of their own volition. And, you know, you put the link that you want to put in, but we would prefer you to put our link there so that he can actually be a guest on here. But here's the hashtag that you should tweet. Mr. Black. No, 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 no. Hashtag Conan Round Springfield. Again. Hashtag Conan Round Springfield. Now go and tweet it. Wow, that was such a great hashtag. I thought so too. <laughs> uh, so we, of course, are talking about the monorail episode, mm-hmm. which I honestly sometimes forget is called Marge versus the monorail. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is, uh, if if it were in the Friends structure of writing episode titles, it would be the one with the monorail. The one where the monorail. The one where the monorail. Um, and I feel like they kind of fucked us all with, with that kind of naming of their episodes because that's all I want to do with episode titles all the time, especially with Simpsons, because um, we remembered those standout pieces of the episode and maybe not necessarily um, the artful wordplay that they usually inject into their episode titles but i like how straightforward this one is Mm -hmm. and um to catch people up this is the 12th episode of the fourth season um (laughs) i i'm reading from wikipedia so i want to say the american animated television series the simpsons (laughs) it is the 12th episode of the fourth uh season of the simpsons it originally aired on january 14th 1993 it was directed by rich moore it was written by conan o'brien heard of him Uh uh-huh and the showrunners at the time were Algene and Mike Reese. Who, at the time, didn't think the episode was going to be great, which is very funny because even after it came out, a lot of people didn't think it was great, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, there's a lot of stories um, on, you know, the director's commentary uh, on, you know, different articles online about how, well, at the time, Conan was like the first new writer to the pack of, you know, like the eight core writers that they had from day one. And, you know, they had one of the writers go on to, you know, bigger and better things, I suppose, but, you know, leave the show so they need to fill a spot and Conan was that spot so um, the story goes that he had pitched this episode idea out during their writer's summit that we've talked a lot in our book 100 Mm -hmm. Things Simpsons Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die uh, available where books are sold um, and an audio book read by two people that are not us two people that are not us but you know hey that's fun too it's like listening to a a weird sliding doors version of our podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's actually I have a trip coming up I should listen to people read my words that i don't know who they are and feel trippy i feel like 
I feel like I'm insecure about it. You know how some people don't like to hear their own voice? Yeah. <laughs> I only like to hear my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I often listen to podcasts and then re-record what they say in my own voice. Every time. Mm-hmm. This it, American life has never been so lively. Name a movie. Blade Runner. I've done the whole thing just me. <laughs> Man, I would like to see that one woman show. Are you taking that to the fringe? I sure am. <laughs> it's called Babe Runner. Ooh, Babe Runner. Yes. I like that. Hey, thanks. I think that you get a lot of write-ups about how like feminist gender bending it is. Mm, mm. Wake up, time to die. Yeah, especially With me. since Yeah, especially since all the female characters in those Blade Runner movies are so disposable. Wow. As someone who's dressed up as Daryl Hannah several times, I have to differ with you. <laughs> I meant I meant the by design they are disposable because they are replicants. We don't need to go into the Blade Runner. We don't need to podcast. We should. Well, we should name it some other time. Well, as I was saying, um, they do this writers retreat where all of the writers go and pitch out essentially all of the stories that are going to be mined for what is the future season of the show. And um, the story goes that Conan had the idea for the monorail episode, um, probably from the start um but uh after talking to algina mike reese they discouraged him from pitching it to james l brooks because they felt like it was a little too out there it was a little too weird yeah not grounded in the way that the other episodes were that he had pitched like you know marge getting a job or like lisa's you know. rival mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like you know things that are very much in the spirit of the simpsons up until that point yeah and i mean that's like at the time, of course, they could not have understood what history would later prove to them. Um, so it is a, a very reasonable thing for them to discourage, you know, this like crazy out there pitch. But good Lord, am I glad the world is glad. Um, I think that, you know, taking that big swing and making the monorail episode be what it is. It, it was a gamble that paid off. And thank God that Conan pitched that because, of course, now we recognize it as being one of the best episodes of all time. And not to be too negative, but I want to call somebody out for being a little shit about this episode. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> um, but I was very shocked to uh, learn that Yardley Smith uh, said that this was one of the worst, uh, one of their worst episodes um, and that the entire cast agreed yeah, I couldn't believe that. I mean, I couldn't believe when I read that, that like the cast would talk amongst themselves in that way and have, of course, we've all been on like shitty weekend digital web series shoots and we look to each other and go like, this kind of sucks. Have you, we? <laughs> no, I just, I mean, like, uh, generally, there pe- have been bad shoots. You look been, at each other. Yeah, yeah. You, you, like, you know, there's sort of that fighting in the trenches kind of bond that you share with your, your co-stars in that way. But I, I just couldn't believe that. Um, maybe I'm seeing it through these rose-colored glasses of The Simpsons being what they are, especially during this time and its history. I couldn't believe that the cast would even comment that an episode would be bad. I frankly don't think they deserve to speak. <laughs> Ever, unless they're speaking as the characters because they're my hmm, prisoners. They are our puppets. <laughs> You're correct. And listen, Nancy C, only person to come on the show that did a voice. So she's 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 the only one that I really fucking care about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love uh, them we're all. Kidding. We're I kidding. I love them all. I want I want them all to come on. Yeah. Um. I I just love how if we took this last episode of our everything's coming up simpsons format to just we let like, it all out air out our shit list <laughs> be like 
Okay. Uh, Pamela Hayden didn't come on the show. Dead to me. Dead to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tress McNeil uh, fucking walking to the sea. Like- <laughs> it's so funny because even as a even as a joke, I can't say dead to me about about Tress McNeil. Oh, my God. She's, she's just so best. good. Everybody's everybody's good. Everybody's the best. Yeah. Um, and obviously guys we're joking yeah we're just having some some yokes yeah we're having some riffs we're having some raffs but come on guys why we're doing our podcast (laughs) it's over now it's over now so let's just all cry uh collectively with each other let's actually take a break and cry together i agree i think that's a good idea Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Graham. And we're two house DJs who have been trapped inside our drum machine. We love it here, and we'd love if you stopped by and visited us every week on Stop Stop Podcasting Podcasting Yourself yourself. here on MaximumFun.org. We're just a couple of doofuses from Canada. And listen to our show or perish. (laughs) Stop Podcasting Yourself on MaximumFun.org. I've been crying all day because I've had something in my eye. So this uh-huh. was a good um, prep for it. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm better. Hey. hey. The power of the Simpsons strikes so, again. I don't know if I need to do this, but because it is such a famous fan favorite, everyone loves, they're demanding for it all the time. People on Twitter are like, this is my favorite segment from Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. I love it when you do this. I need you to do it every time. I'm going to read the synopsis from Wikipedia. What temperature? Ice cold, baby. Ooh. Ice cold. Here we go. The plot revolves. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is a bad start already. <laughs> the plot revolves around Springfield's impulse purchase of a faulty monorail from a con man. Jesus. The end. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess there isn't much of a B story. One could argue that Marge's, her path to seek justice and uncover the lies that Lyle Landley, the monorail salesman, has tricked Springfield into buying into is a B story. Not sure. All of it is kind of, you know, combined together and they're kind of conflated. But I would also write more if I was Mr. Wikipedia. I would write more if I was Mr. (laughs) or Mrs. Uh, Wikipedia. Right, Mr. or Mrs. (laughs) Wikipedia. And who's to say they identify as any gender? Yes, absolutely. I I might be the first person to say that Wikipedia is genderless. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's you and some guy in a a bar in the Mission District of San Francisco who are saying that at this exact moment. I think that's true. Um, (laughs) So... This episode is so revered, obviously, and I bet Yardley has now changed her tune. I bet everyone that's on the team, yeah. although I would be very curious and love to find out that they, for some reason, just really have a bone to pick with this episode. And while it is classic, 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 it is a very unusual episode. It is also, um, it kind of is described as a really good predecessor to Family Guy, just mm-hmm. in that it is a very, very joke dense, not emotionless, 
but not emotionally charged or driven episode. And yeah, of course, when a show is on for four years and you've already built all those connections with the family members and the townspeople and you kind of know everybody so well, you're able to take the liberties of like, we don't need to explain again that they love each other. They're going to get it. We could have one joke centric episode here. And it really is just a very kind of kooky plot, um, even in the fact that you don't even really get the plot progressing in terms of Marge figuring out that this is a bad guy or anything until pretty deep into the episode and honestly just like if you're if you're looking at how it's structured it is not uh like most simpsons episodes but that also is kind of why it's great well i mean mind the slight pun but it moves like a freight train some (laughs) might say monorail wow um it is a master class in plotting because from the start we get you know, the first, first, first shot is is Homer doing the Flintstones song um, to, you know, swap out the lyrics uh, for himself, Simpson, Homer Simpson. And we, of course, get that great moment where he he's about to hit a chestnut tree. Ah. And, you know, the way that the parts, the puzzle pieces of the plot are laid out, you know, it, it all feels so organic and you really don't see it coming. You know, we can go into the nitty gritty in a bit, but just generally what happens is that um, they're, they, Smithers and Burns take excess toxic waste um, to the park to put it in a tree and just stuff it and walk away. And there's a really great shot of like this mutant tree with like tentacle branch arms. And that essentially they get arrested when they get caught doing that and then burns has to pay a fine to the city of three million dollars and that is laying down the foundation of a surplus in city funds that needs to be spent on this monorail it's genius oh my god (laughs) can i tell you writing's hard (laughs) y'all and i in not like a million ten thousand hours malcolm gladwell style would i be able to reach that level of mastery of being able to (laughs) not only it's so hard to not broadcast where your plot is going with that and you know watching it cold there's just no way that you would be able to track that yeah and it it is it is very masterfully done maybe it's a fluke however conan has written other simpsons episodes even though this is the one he's most famous for of course yeah um before we go too deep into the episode i just wanted to mention that he uh, also wrote uh new kid on the block mm, uh, yes very famously homer goes to college yes uh he did the wraparounds for uh treehouse of horror four Mm. And he was a producer up until Cape Fear. So right. he he was obviously very influential on many pieces here and there, but, but really only wrote, um, what is that, three episodes? Four yeah. episodes. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess three and some change. Yeah. And I don't really know necessarily. I mean, it changes with each season, I would imagine, of like um, episodes are usually um, parsed out to writers on an equal sort of, you know, ground. They have what, like 22, 24 episodes per season, I forget, and about like eight or nine writers. And so that feels like it kind of tracks. But, you know, um, to give a little inside info to, you know, how those kind of writers rooms uh, work out. That seems fairly normal if, if you're spending a couple years on a show. You don't get like four episodes off the bat um, if it's a, a bigger room. So 
yeah, just just to handle that part of it. <laughs> um, but I also want to say, and this should come as no surprise to anyone, um, that if you talk to anybody that worked with Conan on the show, um, you know, Mike Reese and Algene are both very vocal on the director's commentaries for this episode about how much they love Conan and how much, you know, they felt like he was just the funniest guy in the room. Uh, funniest guy from 9 a.m. in the morning till 2 a.m., you know, working late nights and how he would just constantly be doing bits. And, and maybe part of this is that he was like in his 20s at the time you know working on the simpsons he had just come from saturday night live of course it was before his talk show he's this young kid you know he's got such a massive brain he went to harvard all right all right um but he you know they all describe his energy as being this like real relentless have to do bits gotta do bits constantly trying to you know not even like for other people's benefit for his own <laughs> benefit they talk about on a director's commentary that like there was this like you know rocky doll that they had in the writer's room and that he was like often found as they were trying to break something he'd be off in the corner like basically creating whole scenes just for himself with this <laughs> rocky doll and like doing bits about it they talked about how um this is before the butterfinger bb simpsons production uh, promotional tie-in but they just ate Butterfinger BBs in the office all the time and how he would like do this character of like I'm the Butterfinger BB salesman <laughs> and you know of course um, if you know Conan's style you know that he uh, really loves old timey characters who use old timey uh, you know language and so of course that would be part of it too and, um, and then it also comes as no surprise that with that kind of sensibility he pitches this episode that is so extra that it, it fuses the <laughs> The music man into um you know this episode of the simpsons and they'd never really done anything like that at that point you know they didn't have a big track record of big musical episodes of course later we're going to see more of that with um the maison derriere and you know um super supercalifragilisticexpialido um the mary poppins or i should i say sherry bobbins episode but this was the first time that they were doing this big swing and honestly i can say that you know this paved the way for them to do weirder things later on maybe we wouldn't have deep space homer if we didn't have marge versus the monorail that'd be a goddamn shame it would be a goddamn shame um so i know that you we already sang it but i i feel like we need to listen to the Flintstone song. I think it's important. So here we go. Simpson, Homer Simpson, he's the greatest guy in history. From the out of Springfield, he's about to hit a chestnut tree. I love that. It honestly brings me so much joy. I remember the first time I saw it as a kid, I thought it was the funniest thing. And my dad, who saw it as an adult, also funniest thing he'd ever seen. Yeah, it's just so simple. I mean, and that's the thing that like, it really, when Simpsons is like the most golden is when it's just so simple and weird. Um, <laughs> the other day, not to share a compliment my mom gave me, but You're here allowed. goes. I'm allowed. Um, this made me feel really good. And it also made me bond to the reason why i like the simpsons um i was talking to my mom the other day and um i had shared a a bit of a script with her and she was telling me how much she liked it but but part of that she said um thank 
God, you're just so weird. Ah, <laughs> and it was. I told her I said that's the f- nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Ah, um, I love that because I think that there's a lot of value in being weird, and I think that The Simpsons does weird in the best way, where it's not weird for weird's sake. There's no. always this very deep calculation for it, and a lot of you know college professors have taught classes on The Simpsons and have tried to break down the formulas of which the Simpsons writers you know channel their weirdness through. Um, but to me, with something like the Flintstone song being the opening for this, which is such a sure, let's do this. Um, It works so well. And I think that, you know, when Simpsons fuses the adults watching and the kids watching, that's when the magic moments happen. I agree. Um, So there are a couple little uh, moments just in that first scene, setting everything up before we get to the um, city hall. And I just really love Lenny and Carl uh, debating what happened to the toxic waste and realizing that they're not going to figure it out. Uh, Carl still goes, either way, I'm going to sleep good tonight. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I have a quick story about that, too. So in that moment, they say that, you know, where are they going to send this toxic waste? And I think Lenny says, ah, they're sending them to one of those southern states where the governor is a crook. And Mike Reese on the commentary said that they got calls from about three or four different southern states that were like, you were talking about us, weren't you? That's amazing. I know, amazing. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and when Smithers and they have the kind of like music in the background, letting us know that there's something shifty going on. Um, I love Smithers asking where they should d- dump it and if it should be the playground and, and just Burns explaining just like, oh, the number of bald children are <laughs> arousing suspicion. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how much I love the squirrel, the radioactive squirrel that has laser vision. I know. <laughs> I love that design. They really went all in for this episode. Uh, we'll get into it later, but they designed uh, this squirrel and they designed basically a whole other town later when they visit uh, Ogdenville, I want to say. Uh, ha- Havenbrook. Oh, uh, North Haverbrook. Haverbrook. And yeah. it's it's just one of those like very eerie twilight zony like post-apocalypse type towns it. it's so spooky um and so uh speaking of spooky we get to see mr burns in the hannibal lecter outfit yeah so scary i, I of course like you i assume had not seen silence of the lambs when this episode came out because yes. we were but we children mm-hmm. and that would have been frightening and it was frightening in the show it was very scary and um i always always love a city hall town meeting mm-hmm. um and i just love you know just the, the corruption of mr burns to uh you know be charged of of you know three million dollars and just have it in his front pocket and also he's gonna buy the um the lady justice statue and uh so they go to the town meeting and they're all trying to figure out like how it is that the the family's trying to figure out like how how could they spend this money mm-hmm. and i love getting to see like lisa wants these virtual reality helmets bart wants there to be giant robot ants that just destroy the school yeah and marge says that she just wants something the, pr- the town could be proud of to which yeah. homer is just like oh like a billboard that says no fat chicks <laughs> which i think is the first time that became like kind of a recurring joke with the no fat chicks because then later of course homer has a shirt that says no fat chicks and then in the Sherry Bobbins episode, he jokes about that. And, and the start of that. And might I say that rather than it being a joke, making fun of people who are quote unquote fat, it is making fun of Homer for being the type of hypocritical, like just like dope who is right. into the type of shirt 
that says like she farted <laughs> with a little arrow absolutely, you know what i mean absolutely yeah yeah like those terrible shirts that are like you know the image of like a married couple game over kind of thing <laughs> i take that not to give too much of a cop out to homer and to the writers of the simpsons but i take that as like homer's the kind of guy that would overhear a cool guy quote unquote cool in a bar say something like that and he would just repeat it like a child would absolutely at home, um which i have definitely done as a child um <laughs> Um, I will not go into that now. <laughs> I want to uh, just touch on this. And you mentioned Lisa dreaming about the VR helmets in public schools. Um, we get a really great joke that doesn't need to happen. And that's why it makes it so great. Where um, the world in which he enters for history class is with Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan turns to the camera to Lisa and addresses her and says, You'll go where I go. Defile what I defile eat what i eat i love that is such a fun (laughs) if we're going to talk about the mechanics of joke writing it it is such a fun like defile what i defile would be the last tightening bit but i love that it's not and i love that it's eat what i eat was it eat what i eat or eat who i eat oh it could have been eat who i eat either way does change it a little bit (laughs) it becomes it becomes a joke about you know we're gonna both be cannibals together right which is funny right. or it's a joke about you huh. know living the life it's like a if that is what they said uh it would be like how on youtube it's just like a, a day in the diet of whatever right, this youtuber right, is and right I, I like both um <laughs> both uh so, something that i think is really fun is the uh i guess the kind of realism of like if every single person is in town hall for a meeting all the criminals are going to be doing their looting yes yes i love that it's snake and all the other criminals that are you know calling out all the Springfieldians for being suckers. Yeah. Um, which is something that I, I mean, knock on wood, but it's something that I, I worry about all the time. <laughs> Not like I attend <laughs> town meetings, but um, I don't know. Maybe I saw this and then that Dennis the Menace movie mm. around the same time. Uh, not to go on a, a small tangent, but if you, if anybody listening recalls the Dennis the Menace Walter Matthau movie <laughs> of the 90s, um, I remember being so scandalized by the idea of Christopher Lloyd is playing this menacing um, uh, vagrant who um, decides to land on the Dennis and Menace uh, suburban neighborhood um, because he takes everyone for being such marks that they are the kind of kind community who leave their doors open. And I've never (laughs) forgotten that. So anyway. Um, So when everyone's discussing what what is going to happen with the $2 million, which we, of course, realize (laughs) was supposed to be a fast one pull-offs. What a great quick joke. Um, uh, I love the suggestion that they could get more firefighters to put out basically an entire portion of Springfield that is constantly on fire. Yep. Um, Relatable for people living in L.A. (laughs) Very much so. Um, We get uh, the one and only appearance of Mr. Snrub. Um, (laughs) Now... (laughs) <laughs> Why aren't we all doing that for Halloween? I I mean it's it's well, it's a deep cut I will admit. Um but why isn't anyone dressing up at that as that for uh we always do for the Simpsons trivia show in LA, Stonecutters, we always do a, a Halloween one. Why isn't anyone <laughs> doing that? But it but it's so fun. It's such a deep cut. Um it's Burns backwards in case you haven't figured that out. <laughs> and it's Burns and Smithers um pairing up together. And I will say that this is it's really hard to parse what is a more Conan O'Brien joke versus a John Schwartzwilder joke because they can seem very similar and they're like you know nonsensical randomness but also old timiness with that but this is such a great moment 
of um, Burns and Smithers working together and, and Conan's humor. Um, he says, uh, uh, my name is Mr. Snrub and I came from far away. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear Conan's voice in that and I really love it. Um, I love that. And so we get Apu, we get Marge. Um, she's explaining how like the main street needs to be repaired and we get a cute like series of like visual gags, one yeah. of which a popcorn truck falling into a <laughs> hole. <laughs> I, there's a lot of things falling uh, to their inconsequential deaths it's, in this episode. It's very good. And um, so there's a joke here that Grandpa does. He's trying to be uh, be a Guinness and he is saying sure we could repair main street and we could blow all of our money and everyone <laughs> yeah, let's cheers do it which of course uh made me think of bart after dark when he's trying to say sure we could tear down the you know <laughs> right wait wait listen to me um I, for one, love a repeated joke like that because yeah. it's just a kind of a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if it's because sometimes we'll know from Josh or Bill that it wasn't a, an intended runner and just something they forgot that they had done before. But right. it makes it even more charming. So I like it anyway. I mean, there's a lot of like vaudeville DNA in The Simpsons, too. Uh, if we're talking about old timey characters, there's a lot of those kind of like who's on first oh, yeah. kind of joke structure. And there's a reason why that works, because it is and maybe because you anticipate it a little bit now and, and it's so uh, archaic that it it's funny because it is so old in its structure but there is something very sing-songy and musical about it that is very appealing and um you know the very like the the blatant like misunderstanding of it and i also really like in this scene how like crotchety abe is like oh yeah he's fully at his give no fucks oh yeah Um, and this is truly i think like really his only appearance in the episode as a whole and it serves such a great purpose absolutely so speaking of sing-songy we now uh Mm. have lyle lanley uh based on the music man character harold hill um this is so the music man is conan's very favorite musical which makes sense if you're going to write an episode and base it on something, you're going to base it on your favorite one. But Phil Hartman uh, it is so much that character. And yeah. it really was really great. So if you got to go uh, to Simpsons Take the Bowl or got to watch videos of it or haven't already, definitely watch the the tape of him, Conan, coming out and singing it. Because he gives a really good ode to Phil Hartman saying just what a great person he was yeah. and how he was the best performer ever. Um, but also all of the like jokes that Conan makes before he goes on are brilliant and I'm sure he was different every night. So you guys should definitely watch that yeah, because it's and it, so, and so it good. it felt like, I mean... What a dream. If that is his favorite musical, you know, then surely that is his ideal role. And I feel like everyone that's ever like done high school theater or musical theater in any way has had those ideal roles that are kind of like you're you just close your eyes and dream. And I felt like that night and Allie, we went together, we cried all throughout. It was so incredible. To, but I felt like I was witnessing him living his own dream yeah. as we were kind of living our dreams of, and, of being there and, and being able to experience that event with all these different Simpsons fans. He was like a mule with a spinning wheel. <laughs> mule. Um, I thought that the 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 slick kind of con man personality tone was nailed. Um, just the, the manipulation of saying that he has this great idea and just, just pivoting to a, ah, forget it. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, that is the way to to get someone to do something that you want. Pit them against exactly. their enemies. And I love, love, love the joke of just 
you know, putting uh, North Haverbrook, Ogdenville, and Brockway on the map, and it's just a visual of them it's, being on a map. Yeah, the joke is that it is so <laughs> obvious to us that this guy is a con man. And um, but Springfield, I love how dumb Springfield is, and how they amp up the like, you know, group think of of how dumb and naive they are, and they just want to be flashy, and so it just makes perfect sense that they're going to go for this. And and now we have to listen to the flashy number that is the monorail song. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. what I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. 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 I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us brain-dead slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No, good sir, I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Sorry, Mom, the mob has spoken. It's so great. Um, I I tweeted about this earlier, but the ring came off my pudding can is definitely my favorite line of the whole thing. It's so, 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 so funny. Um, and I love on the way home where Marge is saying like, you know, I still wish that we could have gotten Main Street repaired. And uh, Homer's just like, well, you shouldn't have, you should have written a song about it like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You should have written a song about it like that guy is a life lesson that I feel I I'm faced with pretty frequently i take i take that option when i can julia and it's made my life pretty good you're right you have taken that option but i think of this in different ways of like you know if i'm up for some sort of i don't know when i would do a lot of stand up and and maybe there was a a person before me who was a little flashier i'd be like well i should have written a song like that guy (laughs) (laughs) it's hard i mean it is very charming i want to say before we move on um we've talked a lot about jeff martin being kind of like the um you know go-to songwriter from the writing group of the simpsons and of course he's credited as being one of the writers of the monorail song also credited al gene mike reese george mayer john vitti uh, john Swartzwelder, conan uh, frank mula and of course it was performed by phil hartman so i have to say that because it is such an iconic song in the history of the simpsons and i believe it's on songs in the key of springfield it's just one of those where uh, i know every word because i just listened to that on a loop <laughs> that's amazing um so we get to see a little bit more of the con man charm at uh school get him flirting miss hoover mm. uh I- why is he at the school <laughs> <laughs> no sense because yeah, because julia we needed to check in on this on the kids <laughs> it is a very springfield thing to be like and now this guy's gonna be your teacher you i know? love it but um i love the questions that are asked we get can it outrun the flash <laughs> sure can can superman outrun the, fl- outrun uh, the flash sure why not <laughs> and then i just love so so much and i'm sure you do too of uh lisa's question uh he says oh are you wondering if your dolly can ride the monorail for free Hardly. (laughs) I'd like you to explain why we should build a mass transit system in a small town with centralized population. 
And I love his response. Yes. It's just very much just, I mean, if, I'm not sure if you have that word for word. I do. I do. Please, please. Um, you know, uh, I think he says something along the lines of like, little girl, that is the most intelligent uh, question I've ever been asked. And really? the line is, really? Yeah. She, it's so easy to charm Lisa. Again, Lisa and I were neck and neck with being, you just tell us we're wise beyond our years and we're there for you. Um, he says, you know, I could give you an answer, but the only people that would understand it would be you and me. And that includes your teacher. And that is like sends her over the moon. You know, that kind of validation and attention to Lisa. He knows he's got everybody as putty in his hands and he knows exactly what to do. And he does such a good job with his marketing. We see uh, in interrupting the Truckasaurus, the movie with starring Mar Marlon Brando as the character of John Truckasaurus <laughs> with celebrity impersonations. Uh, <laughs> we get a really great monorail conducting yeah. school ad and uh the guy looks exactly like homer <laughs> yeah but with a little bit of hair a little bit of hair um and i love that that homer is just like uh but marge is my lifelong dream uh <laughs> she's like your lifelong dream was to run on the field during a baseball game and you did it last year remember and then we get that wonderful newspaper and now listeners we rarely ask for gifts but if you would send us a printable file of that newspaper so we can hang it on our walls <laughs> that would be nice that would be nice uh i also want to say that according to the writers for this episode that this is the first appearance but not the last of course of um homer's lifelong dream that yes. that was a runner because of this episode i love it so mm -hmm. much and i just love that the paper says idiot ruins game springfield for forfeits pennant <laughs> um so we get into the lyle lanley institute and it opens with just like now if there are any are there any reporters or investigators and then they they're just <laughs> I like, am oh, and I am, she I am. is uh <laughs> should we take our hidden camera would you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's so great and of course it is very like um go to school in your pajamas you know kind of like quick fix um trade school something i love about this episode and it's it's brief you know there's not too much emotional stuff happening but i really love how proud bart is i was gonna say if there is any emotional core to this i mean we of course have marge being you know seeking justice but but the heart of this episode is how proud um bart is and i like that there isn't a lot of unnecessary movement to get him to be there we just accept that you know this is the first time according to this episode that bart is seeing his dad as this impressive career person yeah like he was able to know that it, based on studying the mcat he knew that you couldn't get mono, mono from a train um i love i obviously love uh the line following this but it starts with you know i always thought you were gonna have a, a emasculating go nowhere job kids uh but then of course i have to say i think one of my favorite jokes of all time ever yes Say do you want to go by homer jr the kids could call you hoju <laughs> there are two i mean there's so many great heavy hitter jokes in this episode but there are two greatest of all time like people weep with how great it's affected their lives i feel like hoju is one and i'm gonna name a second right now bitey I call this one Bitey. <laughs> you and I are friends. We are friends forever. So do you know who else lists, uh, I call the big one Bitey in their top two favorite Simpsons Matt Groening? Matt Groening. <gasps> I knew it. Do I get, do, do I win a Simpsons podcast? You sure do. Woo! And the other. But it's ending right after <laughs> Sorry. Um, the other one uh, will come up later and we'll bring that up as it gets to it. Cool. Um, but in the meantime, we get to see that Barney wasn't 
fact, given a cushy job, Barney is now in charge of <laughs> putting the monorail on the track. Yeah. And as he's trying to direct it with his hand, hi, Homer, and immediately crashes. And then he says, ah, oh, I hate that sound. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. What a line to give him. It's so great. I mean, all of this just makes me terrified to ride a carnival ride. Oh, my God. Because I think about the Springfield level people, the teenagers, the carnies, a noble folk, as we know through The Simpsons. But I think about them constructing these pieces of, you know, a roller coaster track from, you know, nothing as they go from town to town and i think about that in the same way that the monorail in the in springfield is being constructed in that way it's just not safe according to this book the monorail goes over 150 miles an hour what if something goes wrong what if what if i'm taking a shower and i slip on a bar of soap oh my god i'd be killed it frightens me that you want to work on something that's so unsafe we monorail conductors are a crazy breed half in love with death Gobbling up danger like ordinary men eat peanuts. Am I turning you on? No. What if I undo this button? Good night, Homer. What if I talk like this? It is one of the best. <laughs> Can I say weirdly, so I was watching this earlier with my sister, um, and <laughs> she, it's funny to watch it. Uh, you know, we've experienced watching episodes together, and it's interesting to see what, you know, each other, the person laughs at, it, or the things that, you know, make you uh, react so strongly that you turn to the other person. When I was watching it with my sister, she turned to me and was like, you have to rewind. I gotta hear <laughs> What if I talk like this? I feel like I've heard you say that line so many times because it's so good. <laughs> it was it was a Prescott family routine of us. It's you know? so good. Yeah. Um. Of course, we have uh, back to the class. Mono equals one, and rail equals rail. All right, we finished. <laughs> uh, and then when it comes down to who's going to be the conductor, he says like, "Well, everyone's been good. I just got to check your progress here." And it's a drawing of um, a, it's just like a little crude hand drawing of him going to Tahiti, yeah. and with a bag of money and like. A smiley smiley face <laughs> can i say that when i was listening to the director's comedy richmore the director was like some of my finest work guys so good <laughs> it's very fun i mean it's also i would imagine a little difficult to draw crude so hats oh, of off to you richmore <laughs> um so i always love a file photo of homer um but yes having homer with a mouthful of cigarettes yes uh very 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 funny yeah uh again to go to the commentary um i think mike reese was saying that um he goes jim reardon has never laughed so hard as when he saw this <laughs> photo of how it would actually look and i will admit it is uh one for the ages but also if you could close your eyes and place yourself in the position of a young Conan O'Brien or really any member of the writing staff at that time. You know, you riff around in the writer's room, you describe what it is, but then you get the art back. What a have treat. Have you experienced that with your writing and your work? Of I like, have. It's such a treat to yeah. actually see something uh, that you wrote come to life and right. see that it's so much crazier than you ever expected and just yeah. that it, get to, it gets to exist now. Yeah. Do you feel, and I'm projecting because I felt this way, but do you feel like, oh no, what have I wrought? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I gave birth to a baby. <laughs> and the baby's name is Hoju. <laughs> um, so we 
get to actually see the inside of the monorail now that Homer is the conductor. Oh, and really quickly, another great thing about the um, choice of Homer is that all he didn't even point to Homer. He just gives a general hand wave and Homer's and, and it's just it's just so good. It happens it's just to be so Homer. Good. Um, and then so Homer's giving him the tour. Uh, he's saying just like, you know, and here's a here's where you could put a beverage or if you will cupcake or if you will <laughs> and i love bart being like wow you really know everything about monorails <laughs> i love it this is of course where we get the family of possums mm-hmm. i call the big one bitey yeah just the um, way that they illustrate the possums too so they're cute. so cute i love them possums and are cute i love possums people think that possums are maniacs but really the raccoons are the assholes you know dan telfer who worked at mad magazine at midnight um really hates uh possums and he thinks they're ugly and and from that moment, I knew that he and I had different opinions about possums. <laughs> Draw a line in the sand. I hope this never resurfaces later on in life. <laughs> um, so, but there's a moment where, you know, Marge is feeling a little like, I should see where Mr. Lanley is and goes over, goes into the, it's a new set we've never seen before. It's a bungalow. Yes. And um, Marge finds a notebook that has almost the same type of drawing, but now, um, you know, it it's everyone dying on the monorail yeah and he has an arrow that says suckers yeah and he asks uh what and he's like shaded it's really spooky and he's just like um what did you see uh nothing incriminating oh okay good <laughs> i don't know why i keep this notebook around <laughs> yeah and then marge hurries off so it's great because you know story-wise we get that moment of you know this like um dun 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 like you know swell of danger for marge but then the fact that it's you know jokingly laughably like knocked off of like oh well then i'll see you around you know so that we can then uh tidy up uh lyle's business in the episode if he suspected that marge had suspected him he would have to be around more but then he's now free to go to his plane to tahiti it's very clean it works hats off to you fellas (laughs) and uh now we have marge driving in the car uh she's gonna go to haverbrook to see what's happened um before that we get uh, a little trope of of simpsons um magic that i love a lot of just a floating head saying something that's been said before obviously the most famous is um uh dental plan but but i do but i do love this because it just has so many little beats in it and it's just so goofy and i will also say without knowing too too much about the animation production of this um so you know this is the fourth season we're in the early 90s um technically 1993 and um watching it on and maybe this is the dvd i'm not sure but but you get a sense that this is like wow a new technology in the way that they could float these heads because it is different so in funny. its animation flow <laughs> for all you nerds out there that keep track of that business um it is different in that so there's a part of me and i don't know if this makes me i don't know if it's the simpsons podcast or me but i was like oh they're trying a thing <laughs> like i was proud of them almost for the floating yeah. heads but of course we get um you know all of the foreboding words that are haunting marge's brain she's talking about all the imminent danger that the town is going to be in with this faulty monorail but then of course sprinkled in i call the big one bitey i call <laughs> the big one bitey and uh yeah we just get that nice moment and she 
arrives and it has very much of a of a uh, Twilight Zoney vibe. It's just kind of like everyone's gone. There's a laughing, cackling woman who's mm-hmm. very frightening. Uh, there's a very, very exhausted looking woman who says, go away. There ain't no monorail and there never was. And she shuts it to reveal <laughs> monorail cafe. Yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful Twilight Zone thing. I was thinking about you with this because uh, I know how much you love Twilight Zone. I think it's neat. <laughs> um, so uh, we get to meet this German scientist. Yes. Uh, who is not Batman, uh, whose name is Sebastian <laughs> Cobb. Um, I really want to know where they got that name. It's just such a such an interesting one. Uh, but when he is kind of explaining that he was brought on to build the monorail, uh, you know, he learned quickly that it was going to be horribly made and with very, you know, crappy, you know, instruments and tools and stuff. And um, in terms of advice, all he says is, you just better have a damn good conductor. Of course. And this is when we see that, Homer has locked himself, locked his keys inside the monorail. Yeah, and he says, oh, and he's with there with Bart. I left my. He's using a um, a, coat hanger. a coat hanger, yeah, to <laughs> to crack it through like it was uh, an old Honda Accord. I love he's it. Just, I left my keys in there. Man, I get a rock, and that's our act two break. It's such a perfect, perfect story structure. Speaking of breaks, how many breaks have we taken today? I don't know. Let's take another one. All right. Going into a bullseye interview, I know it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's an actual conversation. I don't know where it's headed. The, absolutely. I, you're absolutely right. You said it actually better than I did, so I have to think about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these are, this, this, this is the straight talk that, that you're going to get on this show. Bullseye. Creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. So we're back and we're ready to give you some celebs. You didn't get a celebrity guest, but there are celebrities on this monorail. Mm-hmm. We have recently outed leading man Dash Calhoun. <laughs> we have Krusty the Clown with a woman who may or may not be the mother of a very crusty like looking baby. <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. Some Benjamin Button action in there. And then we have from 90210, a Kyle Darren, which is obviously, uh, God, what's his name? Oh, um, Luke Perry. Luke Perry. Mm. I love that he's 34 years old, but then he smiles and he looks 55. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> great. The show is Springfield Heights, 90210. There it is. Uh, yeah, I love the way that they introduce him. He's cool. He's sexy. He's 31 years old. <laughs> or 34, yeah. Um, Now, the next one makes me so sad. The next one is Lurleen. I know. Lurleen. She's now been spending her time in a clinic. and The Betty Ford Center. They're asking how she's doing. And she said, I spent last night in a ditch. That's yeah, not it's, good. It's uh, I spent last night in a ditch. It's like such a scary voice. The same too. exact voice for lunch, Lady Doris. <laughs> now, <laughs> absolutely no change to that. Um, so when this episode is being reviewed and kind of getting some acclaim, uh, a lot of people were really excited about Leonard Nimoy's performance. But I'm sure you already know this, but there were other people asked first, yes. um, and I laughed very hard about why George Takei didn't oh, do it. My God. Well, before we get into that. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. What a great weirdo. So initially they went through a Star Trek run with this um, for obvious reasons, because it's a monorail is very spacey, similar to the uh, spaceship on Star Trek. And they went uh, originally to uh, William Shatner, who turned it down. And then they went to George Takei and they, um, or Takai, whatever. It's Takei, it rhymes with gay, as he says. Great. 
George Takei. And um, I believe they said that he seemed to have a really great sense of humor and was game for, you know, playing around and, and appearing on things like The Simpsons. Yeah, and he'd been on it once before. He'd been on it once before, and he was super game to do it. And they even said that he was a little difficult, too, because they had to change a lot of lines in the script to suit him. But then if you want to address <laughs> the ultimate decision why he turned down the role. He said uh, he did not want to make fun of public transportation as he was a member of uh, of the board of the directors of the Southern California Rapid Transit District, now the Los Angeles County Metropo- Metropolitan Transit Authority. That is so funny. Yes. He's afraid of making fun of a monorail that is fictional and a also, con artist made. Also, what are the goddamn odds? <laughs> if I was working on a TV show and we went out to casting for somebody and they came back and said, I'm on the board of this rapid transit what the literal fuck it's a joke what? in and of itself i know it's that a is true gift that is that is something so improbable and uh they joke about it on the commentary about how he didn't want to make fun of monorails and then i think like rich moore says yeah and ever since then i've been hit up by the monorail lobby and people <laughs> are protesting my work and i just get you know i get hit from all sides it's just it's so ridiculous I just I love it so much. I'm so glad that he is on that because we got Leonard Nimoy who couldn't have been funnier in this. It is so he's so good and he appears again and he's such a great guest. He's amazing. I mean, of course, yeah, he appears in the Springfield Files, as we all know, we've covered in the past. But I want to address specifically the way they use Leonard Nimoy for this Um, because it is he's one of the many uh, celebrities that are there to experience a monorail and they use him in a way that makes him boring and it makes him obnoxious He's and so nobody funny. wants to be around him. Um, there's one moment when we first get introduced to him. He's in like the dining car and he approaches uh, a guy at the bar and he says, you know, um, on Star Trek, the show, um, we didn't have mechanical doors uh-huh. for the spaceship. <laughs> um, we had a stagehand who would push and pull that to the side. And they just like walk away from him. And then it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's so excellent. And at the beginning, I just love to um, Mayor Quimby uh, saying like, may the force be with you. Yes. And he says, do you even know who I am? Uh, I think I do. <laughs> Weren't you one of the little rascals? <laughs> so I just love a joke where it's just like, if he did think that it was the little rascals, why did he say may the it force may, be with you? It, yeah. It's so funny. I also love to just parse that out. I think I do. I think I do. I, I love the honesty in that. And I want to inject more of that in my life. I think so too. And so something I like about, um, something I like about Lisa here is that she's not, she's actually not in the same boat as Marge, she's just kind of trusting of Lyle because Lyle fed her ego a little bit. And so she's just kind of a little kid sitting on a little corner and it's just kind of like you know mr Manley, aren't you gonna ride the you know monorail he's like uh no i have to go it's just like well a ride only takes a minute he's like well i have to be somewhere in less than a minute and you know it seems a little suspicious and uh the everything starts to break as soon as homer goes and it's actually kind of scary like even though we know that it's not the finale and that if even if it were they're not gonna kill the simpsons family right, right. it's so terrifying to me especially as a kid and the um Mr. Cobb and Marge uh, show up too late and we get that great joke. I shouldn't have gotten that haircut. (laughs) Of all things, it's amazing. And I like that he says sorry afterwards. And um, so the train is going 180 miles per hour and we get a really um, good fight with Quimby and Wiggum. Yeah. Which was 
uh, inspired by action movies like The Fugitive. Ooh. There were often there were often that kind of dynamic between a cop and the mayor, or like the right. you know someone like that. A little bit like Jaws too. Yeah, yeah, all of those kind of movies. And he's saying, you know, uh, Wiggum is saying it's like you know I I have pictures. He's just like uh, you don't scare me. That could have been anyone's ass. <laughs> um, I love the specificity and, of that. And I love them checking the charter, and they're kind of buddies for a second because Wiggum's yeah. just like. Like, he realizes that he's supposed to get a pig every month. And, like, two... I forget how they describe the lasses. Comely? Yes, yeah, I, I have it here. Two comely lasses of virtues true. And he goes, <laughs> keep the pig. How many buds do I get? I love yeah, that. Great. And one of the funniest little tiny jokes after this is you get the engineers... Um, I'm not sure if that's their title, but the, the two guys... Uh, that could help yeah. um, saying it's like I know we could turn off the power it's like no it's solar powered when will people learn <laughs> and then of course we get the solar eclipse and this has one of the best lines yes yeah I, I don't have it word for word uh, I do mm. uh, it's just that this is when um uh, I almost called him decay uh, this is when <laughs> <No>. Nimoy <laughs> this is when Nimoy says a solar eclipse he says the cosmic ballet goes on <laughs> and uh then the guy next to him does anyone anyone want to switch seats it's amazing and it's then, amazing that line read from that guy is so amazing too. it really is and and then and i apologize if i seem hyper it's just such a good like episode for big jokes but then little tiny jokes that i think um if they aren't more famous should be um this is when uh lyle is flying over his stopless <laughs> right he's on his way to tahiti and then there's an announcement from the pilot that says um they're going to be making a stop in ogdenville or uh, no, uh, mm-hmm. um on their way and you see him with his two uh luggages of money. of money and a martini he swills it he sips it back north haverbrook where have i heard that name before oh no Oh no! And then we get the audience from, or the the townspeople, uh, essentially with pitchforks. Uh, there he is, seat three F. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like they're hanging out there. Yeah, it's, it's it's just so improbable. This is what I am talking about when I talk about the Simpsons specific weird, the absurdities that really forge the reality of all the different steps to cut through them and go yes. We are, suspend your disbelief, these people have been just camped out at this, um, you know, uh, airport waiting for this crook <laughs> to come so that they can, you know, wave their bats with nails at him. It's so good. Um, and so when the monorail is going too fast, Krusty is going to make a jump for it. And we he is saved by Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Uh, no. The world needs laughter. I also want to say that the way that Krusty is animated in this, you know, the wind is kicking up and it's almost as if he is um, jumping out of a plane. It's like that intense. Um, the way it's it's animated for him and then like the way his clothes move, it just it it really gripped me. I, I loved seeing it because I, I loved, you know, how it was done, but it felt really real. Absolutely. And the danger was present, baby. And speaking of danger, this is a point where we actually have a question of are we gonna die from homer yeah and bart says yes but at least we're gonna take innocent people with us um and now we have to play this clip even though we've all heard it before homer there's a man here who thinks he can help you batman no he's a scientist batman's a scientist it's not batman and this is where German man, Mr. Cobb, uh, <laughs> describes that Homer needs to just get an anchor. And mm-hmm. so he uh, looks over to Bart, 
who just turns into an anchor with eyes like he's hungry <laughs> and he That's just amazing. says think harder homer <laughs> and then he he does find a little cowboy man who has a rope and yeah. and he actually is quite smart and he grabs the m uh from the monorail though it is a slight misdirect because you see he goes into it's like this two-level thing of like what are the odds of course the most convenient thing is is on the monorail it's just this guy who's you know lassoing you get uh whiffs of a lot of different movies here you get whiffs of airplane oh, here um and you get whiffs of um what airplane was lampooning those big action explosion disaster movies so there's two levels of the misdirect there's there's the fact that it, it's so convenient but then as i was watching it I thought, well, why don't they just, you know, get this guy to lasso it himself? But of course, it's Homer and he's like <laughs> laughably bad at it. Um, but what a missed opportunity. But it's so great. And it leads to not only them, fortunately, eventually being saved, but uh, Springfield's oldest tree gets cut down. Yes. Uh, the birth of Jebediah Springfield uh, catches on fire. Amazing, amazing. And then there are two Siamese, I guess, a pair of Siamese twins uh, and who are trying to get separated, but it's a very costly pre- procedure. Uh, unfortunately, they get cut right down the middle. Another favorite joke of the writer's room. I love it. And then there's also the old anchor shop. Yes. Um, but then it catches onto the donuts, the big donut donut. And uh, we get the classic, is there anything they can't do? Mm-hmm, and that is, is Mac Rating's second favorite. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad that I waited for that one. I'm glad <laughs> I didn't leave the podcast before that moment happened. I feel like that is, um, you know, one of the more memeable kind of things. But it also feels like a more broad memeable thing. Like you would definitely see it on a t-shirt at Spencer's Gifts. Ah, yes. Yes. And... Uh, as Bart points out, Homer is a hero. And he says, yes, son, I'm the best mono thingy guy there ever was. <laughs> and speaking of heroes, Leonard Nimoy explains, my work here is done. <laughs> Barney says, what do you mean your work here is done? You didn't do anything. He says, didn't I? And then he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I mean, again, the absurdity of this, it is like in the movie i'm mean, like in the movie like the tv show and the movies star trek he just um you know through this sort of tech dissolve he he leaves this mortal coil um and then uh marge's narration comes in this feels like a very cinematic episode and mm-hmm. that it has really all the components if it were stretched out it could have been the simpsons movie and some on the internet may argue it should have been. I don't know how that works, but you explain that to me, Twitter. Um, but she she wraps up with narration and says, you know, that's how the town was saved. And then we touch on um, our other sponsors of this episode. Um, it was, you know, the the weirdest thing that has ever happened in this town. Well, next to the popsicle stick skyscraper and the 50 foot magnifying glass and the escalator to nowhere. Ah. And yes, that is, that sound is one of my (laughs) favorite Simpsons jokes. It's not even a joke. It's just a sound of like, (laughs) and I don't know where they got that, but I love it. Thank you so much. Please give us more. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I love that the town has fallen for numerous follies. Like uh, it's just it, the, the monorail episode really is an episode about the kind of gullible, just trickable town. Yeah. And you get a little bit of that in the cat burglar episode as well. And it comes uh, here and there, but no greater than in this episode, I think. Yeah. Um, And while, of course, we would have loved for Conan to come on and talk about this episode, I'm very, very happy that I could 
talk to my Conan, Julia oh, Prescott. You're my Conan too. What if I called you my Andy? Would you be upset? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would love both. No, no. Yes, we are each other's Conan. We are each other's Sherry to each other's Terry. We um. We've got a good friendship going, guys. I don't know what to tell you. We're not like other podcasts where they we're not, fight all the time. We're not like other podcasts. <laughs> um, but gang, it's so surreal. We've been doing this show for four-ish years. Yeah. It has been such a joy. We talked more about that last episode and had a real love fest, but we got to do one here because mm-hmm. it's the final episode of Everything's Coming Up Simpsons in this form. Yeah. Um, so we are going to be taking a break and retiring this name and moving on to our mini series Round Springfield. So we'll still have some Simpsons adjacent stuff, but... Boy, I am going to miss doing it this way, but we got to end it while it while it feels good. And I don't think we could have gone out on a better note. I agree. I also want to say, um, so just the other night, um, Allie and I, we were both at a another Max Fun event um, to timestamp it a little. It was the Jordan Jesse Go Summer Boys of Summer show. And uh, we had a couple listeners come up to us and say how much they liked the idea of Round Springfield and how much they appreciated this transition. And I'm not saying like, oh, we only want to hear the compliments. Thank you. You know, but it, it was very heartening to hear that. And, and, you know, we've always felt a strong bond with all of you guys out there. You know, we'll see you guys in the wild and we see you at live shows. And, you know, we've, the reason why we started this Simpsons podcast this is the reason why it has endured for four ish years. It's because we are each other's tribe and speak each other's language. And I've always said that Simpsons fans are a special kind of fan. They are kind. They are smart. Um, they're and the best fans in the world. They're the best fans in the world. They're very weird. And I love them. Um, so uh, and we've, you know, gotten that feedback in person and a lot of great feedback online after we announced it. And after that last episode came out. So I just want to say quickly, thank you to everyone that has reached out to either of us or both through the Simpsons pod Twitter, which we will keep active. I yeah. Promise you that because, of course, there's going to be a lot of Simpsons memeable moments, um, especially during this election <laughs> coming up. So, we'll probably be using that for that. So, I just want to say thank you for all the kind words that you guys have said. Um, and it makes it makes this decision feel um, better than it already did, and it already felt really good. And it makes the future of um, what we do here, what Allie and I do, but also what you know allows us to interact with you guys, um, it feels better. So yeah. I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Also, it's been such a journey, especially if you, whether you're a new listener or uh, have been with us from the very beginning, it's been so nice to kind of grow uh, over these last four-ish years. Like, I certainly was a very different person. Um, when we started the podcast and I, I attribute a lot of my personal growth and, and even confidence, um, growth to doing the podcast. And I feel like I'm a better person for having done it. And I'm going to cry, oh my gosh, but it's also just been so special because Julia and I, as we've said last episode and throughout the show, like we really became friends because of the Simpsons. And, um, if it's, it's either a testament to how great the Simpsons is or to how great, uh, Julia and I like our connection is um, and I guess it's probably both it's but probably both. <laughs> but it's been so special because you guys have gotten to kind of be a part of our um, friendship 
yeah. kind of building on air, which has been really amazing because we didn't really know each other too well before the show right. started. And, you know, I'm someone who weeped while uh, speaking at Julia's wedding. <laughs> and like I got to I got to be around hearing about um, her husband, Mike, when he first entered her life. Yes. And Julia got to witness me become vegan and to go through all of my craziness <laughs> and, and meet my partner. And we've we've enjoyed new cats we coming in and out um and uh you know we 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 want to stay in touch this isn't the very end um so please keep tweeting at us please keep letting us know mm-hmm. how you guys are doing yeah. um we don't want you know we're not getting a divorce um <laughs> it's not your fault i know i said that last time it's but not even a trial separation it's it's only conan's fault and we <laughs> are gonna get him on that show if you guys put in the work if it doesn't happen that's on <laughs> that's you how guys this happens. that's how this happens Gosh. um well, Julia, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. Well, I want to also say before we fully, fully, fully wrap up, in addition to the new cats and the new haircuts and the new this and the new that, um, it's been every time I start talking like this, it does feel like a eulogy. I promise it's <laughs> not. Um, but it, it has been uh, such a treat to do this with you. And I am very excited about the new wave of it. And um I also want to just shout out to us and in our bond and you know how we work creatively and and how it truly is so difficult to find a strong creative partner um, because there's not really a courting period you kind Aww. of do a shoot a shot in the dark yeah and uh, I think uh, I got very lucky when um, we joined forces and and so that's been a really great part of my life but I also want to shout out to you and and, and you not only you know, as you say, I've had personal growth, but I feel like you've had really tremendous professional growth too. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm such a cheerleader of you. You guys know the, how funny Allie is. I promise you she's 10 times a million times funnier in person. And <laughs> seriously, nobody's quicker than Allie. God, there's such a love fest. I feel, I feel like anyone new to, why is anyone new to the podcast listening to this episode? <laughs> I don't know, but, um, but it's been a treat. And so, and I also feel like maybe the part of the reason why I'm sharing this on the podcast is is that we all feel connected i think so your you know your your uh joys your your accomplishments i feel people that listen can share in that too so me personally it's been such a joy you got the job at mad magazine what a dream job you got your first tv writing job thank you what a dream thing thank you and um and i just uh i'm just excited for what you do too so i'm excited for what you do and so julia where can people find what you're doing and see you online and tweet at you and you can find me at julia prescott and all the things ali where can people find you you can find me at ali gertz and all the things we will remain at simpsons pod uh we will be connecting with you guys we love to get an email we love mm-hmm. to get we love to get an instagram dm yeah we love it um <laughs> to our personal accounts we don't check this no no, no instagram account <laughs> really ever i can't remember the password for it it's different than all the others um i also want to remind everybody um that we have a couple surprise tricks up our sleeve in the um space between now and when we um finally uh release uh, around springfield which is not yet to be determined as a date um but you can look forward to that in the fall i will yes. say i think it's safe to say that um but we will be recording some in between episodes yeah so stay subscribed stay so subscribed. that so that you don't miss those because those are going to be extra fun mm-hmm. um and y'all it's been so fun and mm-hmm. so great thank you guys um everyone who's worked with us on the show before we gave you a proper shout out last time but thank you brandon beck and um 
thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Max Fun, and thank mm-hmm. you, Jesse and Jordan. Yeah, and thank you, everybody at Feral Audio, and we are at Feral, and yeah, everything and everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, lastly, but not leastly, I would like to say everything's coming up simpsons it's a production of maximum fun our show was edited by jesus ambrosio and our senior producer is laura swisher swish smell you later smell you later maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported